0: On Sex Positive Me, we explore all aspects of sex and relationships, ranging from fetishes and BDSM to ethical non-monogamy and LGBTQ issues. Sex Positive Me destigmatizes sexual practices and relationships while reconciling reality with myth and misconceptions. Our goal is to educate, entertain, and be advocates of sexual freedom. And
1: now here's your hosts, Angelique and John Luna. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome to the April edition of Sex Positive Me. It's the hostess with the mostest, Angelique, with my husband, co-partner, tech support, um, trying to keep me out of trouble. Heavy on
2: the tech support lately. Yes.
1: John C. Luna, Yay.
2: Hello, everyone.
1: Yes, this month I have made sure that every person we're um, interviewing is somehow doing educating, healing, taking care of folks that are part of the Sexual sexual Assault Awareness Month for April, and then Child Abuse Awareness Month. As many of you know, that is dear and near to both of us as a topic, since our daughter is a sex abuse survivor child, sex abuse survivor, because she was eight years old when the sex abuse was discovered. And I wanted to make sure that people knew that there's resources, information, services out there to help you with your healing process. And I thought it was very fitting to kick off the month with Rosalia Rivera of About Consent um, Podcast and Consent Parenting website there. Um, Please introduce yourself. Tell us about it because your resume is very impressive and I wish I had your services back in 2008, because these are much needed services what you provide and information.
0: Thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here uh, talking with you both. I love uh, you know, talking about this topic obviously, but also about sex positivity. So I'm all about that too. Um, so yeah, I'm Rosalia Rivera and I'm a consent educator and abuse prevention expert, um, sexual literacy advocate, uh, founder of Consent Parenting, host of the About Consent podcast, um, and yeah. I also have a clothing uh, line called Consent Wear, which is for kids, teens, and adults to help them create and spread consent culture, and I work predominantly with parents, particularly parents who are survivors themselves, uh, because I'm a survivor, and I'm a parent, and uh, have learned how to navigate the journey of teaching my kids about abuse prevention so that I could break the cycle and be able to help other parents do the same. Um, Because it can be a triggering topic if you are a survivor, um, but it doesn't have to be. It can be a really empowering experience. And so that's what I try to to teach and uh, empower people with and to really dismantle rape culture, create consent culture, and help survivors step into their healing journeys. So that's what I do.
1: Yes, it's wonderful there. And it's like, I've listened to a couple of your podcast episodes and I love the variations of topics uh, available because some people just, I don't know if they put like blinders on and just have a particular way of seeing a sex assault survivor or a child abuse survivor that it's just this one person. And, you know, you just recently did one about a male survivor and it's like, yes, no one really understands that's not only females, it's also men. And when we went through our, our healing process, I saw little boys three to five, and it just devastated me and broke my heart that these poor little you know children went through this. And yeah. the one thing that really bothered me a lot was the lack of parents wanting to do mental health therapy mm-hmm. or the healing process. I want to know, from your perspective, what is your view on that?
0: Yeah, it's it's somewhat shocking to me. I've I've talked to parents whose uh, children have had incidents where it wasn't particularly abuse at the hands of an adult. Um, they weren't totally sure if it was uh, the same because it was another child who had um, you know committed that act and they thought, well, you know, they're really young, so maybe they'll just forget about it. And if we bring it up, then it'll make it into a thing. And so they were afraid of addressing it really, because they thought, well, if we don't address it, it'll go away. Basically, the the child won't be traumatized by it. But if we actually make a thing out of it, then that's what's going to traumatize them. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just very erroneous thinking. Um, We don't know, And we can never assume what the child's experience was unless we let them be able to share it themselves. And we really should allow them that space to do that. We have no idea how each individual responds to things, right? Trauma really um, is experienced differently by everyone. What is traumatic for one person may not be for another. And we can look at that just from looking at siblings, right? You know, with one child who, you know, like got hit with, uh, you know, a, a book dropped on them or something. And one child like completely freaks out and the other child is like, oh, that didn't even hurt. So we, you know, when we look at it in that context, we just can't know and to assume as a parent that they'll be fine. Cause they were really young and it wasn't maybe that serious um, is not justifiable. So I, I believe that children should be given the opportunity and that can happen through play therapy. It can happen in different kinds of therapy Uh, or therapeutic um, modalities. So I really recommend that any kind of situation that happens, that we give kids that opportunity to express what what they felt about it. If they were really young, they can still express it through play therapy. Um, And then to furthermore, make sure that you are doing boundary repair And so that's where, you know, even if something did happen, you can still continue to educate them on body autonomy, body safety, boundaries and consent, because that's when they actually needed even more. We want to make sure that they understand that the situation that happened does not have to ever happen again. So, yeah, I'm a proponent for therapy for sure. This my you know, long-winded it's like, answer.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely there. Yeah, because when I, I told them, it's like, I want to get my daughter in therapy. They all looked at me kind of like weird. And I'm like, "Why? you're and at that time back in 2008, I was like one of the first parents who insisted to put my child in therapy because I've been in therapy since I was 15 years old and I saw the benefits. And, you know, to me, it's like, we just discovered you were sexually abused this, you, you have to go through healing process. And this is very Absolutely. important. And one thing I didn't notice in your bio is like the intergenerational cycles. That is something that a lot of people I have seen both sides of the coin that they're like, it's okay. It happened to me. Then you just keep it on. And then others that are trying to break it, what is your views and how do you address that for families that, you know, it'll, it's just part of the family. That's, you gotta deal with it.
0: Yeah. So my mom is a survivor. Um, I have permission to share, share that, um, publicly, And the reason why I share it is because it really impacted the way that I was raised. And it, you know, my sister's also a survivor as well. Um, So just between them alone, uh, there was this really critical understanding that I came to when I then became a parent many years later, my sister had uh, children when she um, was 20 and we're about seven years apart. So there was this big gap of, witnessing the, the way that my mother had parented and then the way that my sister was parenting. And I wanted to make sure that I was breaking the cycle. And fortunately, um, when I started this journey myself and realized I do not obviously want this to happen to my kids again, but I don't wanna repeat the same pattern that my mom did which was to overprotect. So my mom, when she was 14, she was raped by a teacher and the impact that that had on her growing up in a Latin country where it was like super conservative, Catholic, um, she was really ashamed of what happened because she thought somehow she would be blamed or that uh, people wouldn't believe her. So she did, not, she did not disclose until she was in her seventies and carrying that weight uh, you know, of that assault her whole life like created tremendous amounts of shame And she wanted to make sure that obviously it didn't happen to her kids. So her, because of her limited skill set of boundaries and teaching consent, I mean, this just wasn't accessible. You know, I grew up, I, I was born in 78. So, you know, if you can imagine, obviously the lack of access to information compared to what we have today and her not being able to tell anybody. So she didn't have resources to heal. She didn't have resources to access, like how do I repair boundaries? How do I you know, move forward with this and then teach my kids? So everything that she did was from this really fear-based place. And she was all about protecting us by keeping us as close as possible. So we were very restricted in what we could do. We couldn't go to sleepovers, we couldn't go to people's houses on play dates, like all of these things. But then on the flip side, she wasn't aware of, you know, what could happen within a family, right? She was, because of what happened to her as an external experience, she thought the dangers were outside the home, didn't look inside the home, couldn't, couldn't fathom. I think like most parents, you you can't fathom that somebody, either your spouse or a family member could do that, right? Um, So that was one element of it. But also for me, particularly as I got older and realizing I didn't really understand what consent was, I didn't understand body autonomy or boundaries. I was just told, be careful, don't dress a certain way, don't try to attack, attract certain attention. Um, but then when I was 17 and you know, because of growing up in such a strict environment, when I was 17, I became very rebellious and put myself in unsafe situations where I ended up getting date raped and didn't understand that it was not my fault. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So what, what I didn't realize was that I didn't understand the concept of consent. I didn't understand that consent could be withdrawn. I didn't understand body autonomy. So I really blamed myself for a lot of that and didn't disclose that for a few years until I was older and realized like, wait a minute, this, this wasn't my fault and I could have you know, spoken up and reported and told someone um, and not have had to carry that shame of you know, not telling anyone. But what I realized as an adult and as a parent is that we need to have those kinds of conversations with our kids about what consent means and that they have the right to their bodies and they, that it's never their fault. And all of these things that we now realize is much more mainstream, but it's still taboo. And if we don't have those conversations then we set up our kids for those potential pitfalls and unsafe experiences in in relationships. So when I talk about breaking intergenerational cycles, it's about looking at what is it that we've gone through? How do we learn to have those conversations that we're so afraid of having because they may potentially open up Pandora's box, you know, or uh, to... It, you know, basically give our kids the skill set that they need to be able to go off into the world safely. And that's how we can break those cycles. If we're not willing to push past some of that discomfort or dedicate ourselves to stepping into our own healing journey so that we can have the courage to do that, then we have, you know, we're, we're putting ourselves and our children at risk for those situations to repeat themselves. And that's where we need to, you know, as Anyone who's a survivor, we have to do that work in order to prevent the cycles from perpetuating and within families to have the courage to be the one to stand up and say, we have to talk about this.
1: May I ask, how did your mother react to your date rape?
0: I never told her until I was in my 20s. And the reason, part of the reason why was because, again, I thought it was my fault because I snuck out and didn't tell her where I was going because I had grown up very strict. And so, and, and, you know, of course, on top of it, she had told me, you know, don't dress a certain way. Don't, you know, go out, you know, with, uh, you know, boys that, you know, all they want is this thing. And, you know, so it was very sort of um, sex negative messaging, uh, very fear-based messaging. And so I thought, I put myself in that position. You know, I went against what my mom said. Uh, I wore what she told me not to wear. Like I did all the things, right? And so therefore it must be my fault. And if I tell her, I'm just gonna prove her right and she's gonna be mad at me. And I was actually more fearful of her response uh, to that situation. And so, and again, I just thought it was my fault. I must've somehow given the signal that it was okay. And I just had no concept of, being able to communicate, or the fact that I didn't say yes, and that if in the moment I said yes, but a minute later I said no, that that would have been okay also. So there was just a lot of, you know, in relation to consent and body boundaries that I was not aware of at 17. And again, just thought it was my fault. So I didn't want to tell her thinking, you know, she's going to say, I told you so, this is your fault, you asked for it. You know and, and all the victim blaming that we still see today, mm-hmm. so you know that was one of the reasons why I didn't share that until much later when I realized, wait a minute, like that wasn't my fault. So
2: I see so much shame, um, again, of course, on the victim side of it, but also from a parent's side because even if they weren't abused, um, many not all parents, um, have this shame around talking about sex, especially uncomfortable with their kid, yeah. and then when it comes out that their child was abused now the shame. a lot of them get this self-shame that i should have done more i should have protected them which really in that time the focus should be on healing the child the person with the trauma but some see it as hiding it to hide their own shame Mm -hmm. which really just again perpetuates the entire cycle
0: yeah yeah absolutely and the you know the goal is for parents to have open communication, uh, I never felt like I could, I had the ability to have open communication because there was this undertone of uh, sex is sinful and um, you know you're not supposed to do that before marriage, which was another reason that I was afraid to speak up. Um, I just thought, okay, that means I have less value now as a person because I'm no longer blah blah blah, you know. And so there's just all of these things, and and we both, you know, parent and child carry this shame that is really culturally placed on us. And that's one of the things that I'm always, um, you know, I guess, preaching against, you know, is that we need to let go of this shame. I keep tying it back to the Madonna whore complex. I think, you know, I, I have a TEDx talk that I'm doing this year, specifically on that topic. And it's because it Really is at the heart of what prevents a lot of rape and assault survivors from speaking up is this fear of there's going to be something that is somehow now making me intrinsically bad or damaged or broken or worth less. And that is, you know, a lot of the times for parents feel like, oh no, my child is now going to be seen this way, you know? And so that is part of that shame too. And unfortunately, I mean, obviously that's not true our intrinsic worth is not tied to our sexuality but society tries to tell us this all the time and that is one of the one of the things that i think is at the heart of what rape culture wants us to believe so that it can control how we behave in the world so you know back and how that you know goes back towards children even i think when we don't work to dismantle that narrative kids who have been abused will somehow, you know, subconsciously or unconsciously believe that myth, you know? So I think it's our job as parents to push against that, to, to dismantle that belief system and let them know that their worth has not changed, you know, that they are always inherently worthy.
2: The recent conversation I heard was on the, the word virginity and what does it really mean And after listening, I listened to a podcast on this. It was really interesting that you're right because it was someone's doctor asking them if they were a virgin. And the answer was, are you asking if I've had penetrative sex? Are you asking if I've been in love? I've asked for this. And after the, after that whole discussion on it, it was like, yeah, virginity is this bullshit concept that value was placed upon by the church society. A group of people that really have shouldn't have that type of power at all.
0: Yeah, well, so it, it, that's something that I I love this conversation particularly because if we look at the root of where this came from, it actually was because uh, it started with women being property and exchanged for uh, you know the the continuation of wealth, right? So you were married. Uh, in order to trade this value and your virginity was your measure of value because of producing a authentic heir. And so virginity was like, you know, we want to make sure that you're a virgin so that we know for sure 100% that the child that you bear is going to be, you know, the, the authentic heir to that, you know, that wealth or legacy or whatever it is. Um, And we have not moved away from that consciously. So unconsciously, that is really what's at the heart of this idea of women's value being tied to their "quote unquote" virginity. Um, so, you know, we we have found different ways to perpetuate it, you know, through um, mythology or through religion, right? Uh, Adam and Eve, uh, you know, Eve eating from the fruit of, from the tree of knowledge, right? And this understanding that sexuality is not something you're, you're really supposed to know. And like, so just all of these different ways that these narratives get tied in and accepted about women's value and virginity. And it's interesting because when we look at the Virgin Mary And what she represents, right, which is this like pure, pristine, uh, you know, holier than thou kind of uh, person or, or a deity. But, you know, that's an unrealistic perspective to place on a whole human, right, because... We are, you know, as women in particular, and, and, you know, this affects men too. It's not just to say like this just affects women because it affects the way that we interact in relationships, the way that men uh, struggle, you know, with a lot of their uh, sexual lives, because you know, if they're married to the woman that, you know, looks like the homely wife that you're supposed to marry, but she's not willing to do what you want in the bedroom, which is this whole other, you know, aspect of the, ver- you know, the, the whore or the slut, um, they go off and, you know, have that extramarital affair. It's, it's a whole thing that we as a society are unwilling to break down because it's, it feels like this is how it's supposed to be. Um, but, you know, if we don't challenge those things, like we're just going to keep perpetuating rape culture, like this is a narrative that 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 is at the heart of rape culture. And when we talk about dismantling that, we're talking about dismantling a whole like aspect of what creates sexual assault in the first place, and which is about power. You know, um, sexual assault, you know, is not about sex. It's really about power and when we are looking at how kids are abused that's an element of abusing power and you know so when we talk about body autonomy like we're pushing against all of this and saying your body belongs to you you are worthy of honor and respect regardless of your age your gender you know that is when we're what we're talking about when we want to build you know consent culture and that's really hard for a lot of people to accept because That means a big shift culturally, but you know, that's what we're doing right here right now. So we just have to keep talking about it.
1: Absolutely. Kudos to you for doing this work. It, it is a lot of work. It is trying to dismantle the shame, dismantle the power, um, exchange in regards to non-consent. You know, I know we teach a lot about power exchange relationships, but this is for adults and consensual, but people don't see that when it's adults and children. I saw that you do offer a program teaching, um, adults about seeing the, uh, grooming patterns because Mm -hmm. people don't see that. And that's what happened in our situation. Our daughter was groomed that way because I was trying to not do the stereotypical Latina mom, you know, oh, I'm just using the child for money. I'm going to withhold it. I was trying to be as positive parenting as possible. We did a 50-50 split, you know, so whatever's your time and my time. And in between, I saw some signs, but really did not pick up on it until after the fact, when it was caught on video at a community pool, that's mm-hmm. when everything hit me. And then I went back and I'm like, oh my God, I should have known this after I went through therapy, but please discuss more on your classes and workshops that you offer online.
0: Yeah. I Thank you for bringing that up. I mean, grooming is is a huge part of how abuse happens and most parents miss it because not because they're, um, unaware necessarily. And again, like I don't think parents should blame themselves for missing those signs. It's just that it's not a common, like, I think that this is something that should be taught like in schools, you know, like kids should be taught to how to spot grooming signs themselves as well. Um, but you know, predators are master manipulators, right? And they get off on being able to trick people because that is the power that they exert on the families and the children that they, um, that they take advantage of. And grooming is, um, is actually so critical for parents to understand because 90% of abuse happens by people that the family and the child knows and trusts it's not the stranger danger that people typically think that schools typically teach so if you look at the signs of grooming you know there are various there's you know i I always um say between eight and ten signs that you can spot um along with your own listening to your gut instincts you know a lot of times like as children, you may have been raised to not listen to your gut instinct, right? Because you're supposed to be obedient and you're supposed to listen to, you know, if if you're told, go hug uncle so-and-so and like uncle so-and-so feels creepy to you, but your mom is like, go hug him. Don't be rude. You're being taught to go against your instincts. So when you're older, you know, your whole life, you've been conditioned this way. And now you're older and you see something that may feel suspicious, doesn't quite feel right? But it's someone that you you've grown to trust. You don't listen to that because you're like, how could that person possibly do that? Look at you know, they're an upstanding citizen. Blah blah blah. I mean, look at the case of Larry Nassar, who was the Olympic uh, de- you know doctor who he ended up abusing over two hundred kids, and nobody wanted to look at him critically because, you know, he had started an autism foundation in his hometown and he was this upstanding citizen and had all these credentials and like, how could that, you know, he's been doing it for 25 years. How could he possibly, um, he was grooming an entire community for decades. Right. And so, you know, parents, should not necessarily ever blame themselves for like, how could I have missed those signs because they are master manipulators. And what I always say is, if you count up all the signs, if if you learn the signs, right? And you say, out of these 10 signs, I'm seeing seven. And there's something in my gut that's telling me that I should be paying attention and be like a little bit more distanced from this person. But, you know, everything else says, oh, he's a squeaky clean person, right? if you listen to your gut, um, even if you don't find any evidence, you know, even if everyone says, oh, but like, why would you doubt him? Like, or her, you know, they seem like such great, such a great person. Um, You know, you're being paranoid or whatever it is. And then you second guess yourself. I want to recommend that people always listen to their gut. Our sixth sense is there for a reason. We as humans, as as creatures, as animals, um, we have that sixth sense for a reason. And particularly with our young, you know, particularly with our children, um, we should be teaching them how to listen to their instinct. And so it goes hand in hand. A lot of people are like, well, these grooming signs sound just like my, my parents, you know, and I know that they're not, you know, abusing my children. Like, yeah, they may give them gifts or yeah, they may have special, you know, give them special attention, but like, isn't that normal? And it's like, yeah, it. a lot of that is, but to what degree and, t- and how many of these are adding up and what does your instinct tell you, right? You have to combine those things and determine, you know, where does the math lead you, right? If the math is telling you, this, this is something you should be paying a lot more attention to um, then that's you know the first thing and then the second is to make sure you're having ongoing open conversations with your kids so that they feel comfortable and confident and safe telling you about anything that they feel also weird about you know um, if you've been pushing them to like accept and and be you know with this family member and they keep like pulling away, and you keep trying to push them in that same direction because you're like, oh, it's my, you know, my brother, like, how could that be? Or it's so-and-so, how could that be? Um, You have to listen to your kids too and and help them to foster that intuition because, you know, that's, what's going to help them also learn how to spot those grooming signs as they get older and go into their own relationships. And, you know, nowadays, unfortunately the next thing that they have to be aware of is grooming signs within relationships because you have things like romeo pimps and you know obviously online grooming is very um intense and and right now it's just like at its peak because parents are just not they you know they think oh i've told them not to talk to strangers online and you know whatever grooming can happen by peers you know and and a lot of parents don't realize that so we have to learn the signs ourselves and then we have to teach our kids how to look for those signs too
1: it seems like it could roll into the uh, human trafficking and sex trafficking right there. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's. It,
0: I mean, that's the thing is, our our kids as they get older, and you know, the 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 prime time that traffickers are looking to in you know enlist uh, youth is at that tween stage. So that puberty stage where kids are feeling, you know, maybe a little more insecure about themselves because their bodies are changing. Um, You know, they're starting to look at romantic relationships. This is where um, traffickers look for, you know, those vulnerabilities and obviously prey on that. So we have to really keep these conversations open and ongoing with our kids talking about anything. I mean, you cannot Take things off the table and say, we're not going to talk about porn or we're not going to talk about, you know, this like we have to be willing to let our kids know that the door is open for these conversations, because if they don't feel like they can come to us, they're going to go to someone else and that someone else may not be safe. And that someone else is going to see that vulnerability and take advantage, right? So even if it's just misguided, you know, even if it's just a peer saying, oh, well, you know, let's look it up. And suddenly they're on a porn site and they're afraid to tell you because you've never talked about porn and they might have shame about it. And now next thing you know, they're like in the spiral of not understanding the difference between mainstream porn, ethical porn, feminist porn. And they've gone down this like really negative rabbit hole.
2: Or even worse, they look at porn as an example of how they're supposed to have a relationship.
0: Oh, absolutely. It becomes their sex ed.
2: And and that is the the worst. We've told several parents, it's like watching Fast and the Furious and handing your kids the keys to the car. It's entertainment, but it's not education. And if you don't provide it, they're going to find it wherever they can.
1: Yeah. And that's one thing we always tell parents. It's like kids could smell fear. And if you're afraid to talk about sex, just in general, they're not going to come to you and they're not going to talk to you about it because they know that you're insecure or you're scared to, and they smell it. You know, we're like, no, you have to be strong and confident because then it does eventually roll over into your own personal life. You know, once you're married, you have kids. If you can't talk to your partner about sex, there's a less likely chance you're going to talk to your child about sex.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I mean, that's everything that you're talking about. I'm like, I could talk about this for hours. <laughs> it's uh, you know, it like, it's very critical that we, I mean, I'll be honest with you. It was, it was hard at first for me because I didn't grow up talking about it at home. And I'm very fortunate that my husband is very sex positive also, and very open to having these conversations. He grew up in a very I would say sex neutral home. It wasn't that it was ever negative or necessarily positive, but it was like, you know, if you had a question, you could ask it. And it was not shamed upon. It wasn't looked down on. Whereas for me, it was like, you don't even say the word. My mom didn't even say the word vagina. Like it was just not, you know, on the table. And so for me with my children, it's been a learning process, even for me. And I consider myself to be sex positive. It's taken a lot of, you know, for me to, even be able to say I'm um, sex positive because you know I've always, like I I remember um, having shame about having desire when I was growing up and like I had no one to talk to and I was embarrassed when my friends would be able to openly talk about things and I couldn't. So a lot of what I learned was like you know HBO uh, Real Sex or like looking at magazines or like finding whatever I could find. But I had these really um, specific you know ideas about what sex was and it wasn't necessarily ever centered on me. It was like very male centered and very much about like how I looked and how I made that person feel, not necessarily about my own pleasure. So, you know, I don't want my kids to grow up not having an equitable relationship and a safe relationship. And so I pushed myself past those comfort zones to like, even with my own partner, it's, you know, it was his ability to um, help me feel really safe that allowed me to feel like I could talk openly about it. And now with my kids, like, you know, we teach it in an age appropriate way, but they understand nothing is off the table. You know, like we're watching um, friends thinking like, oh, it's a safe like TV, you know, daytime comedy. And like, you know, Joey's like constantly bringing up the word porn. And like my, you know, finally my oldest was like, what's porn? And so like, you know, I had to explain, he's nine years old. It's not something that he shouldn't know about at this point in terms of like what it is. It's very simple like you know it's a, it's an activity that you know where adults consensual adults supposedly because we don't you know i i haven't gotten into that part of the conversation yet with him because um his basic knowledge is you know people having sex that's being filmed it's for adults only and if you ever come across it it's not appropriate for you so here's what you do if you accidentally come across it or if someone tries to show it to you you know so giving some concrete exit strategies um, so that's, you know, the kind of information that we need to be teaching our kids and not say, oh, my God, you know, porn is terrible. And like, don't look at it like scaring them. And our fear of that comes across. And then it's almost like now I'm curious, like, why is she so freaked out? You know, the way that we've approached it is it's this very matter of fact thing. It's not appropriate for you. And here's what to do if you come across it. But without that fear based approach, you know, which is what I was given was like, don't talk about sex, don't think about sex, you know, don't don't like even consider it until you like get married, blah, blah, blah. And it was just like, I was curious, but I, you know, didn't know where to go. So we want to make sure we're that resource for our kids.
2: And what I will say is it's as a parent, it's an ongoing battle. Uh, to continually remind yourself because we all drop back to our instincts and our instincts is, this is shameful. This is wrong. And you have to remind yourself what you've learned and what you, how you've changed. And it's not something you learn and say, okay, yeah, I learned this in history. I'm done. I don't need to go back at it. I still constantly revisit the fact that what we're all doing is, is is right.
1: Yes. <laughs> that's the easiest way to say it. it's deprogramming mm-hmm. those sex negative mentalities. And, you know, I, I know we grew up in the same generation because I was born in 75 and I didn't find out until earlier this year from my aunt that my mother and my aunts, um, they were like three sisters and one brother were all um, used as um, sex slaves. My grandmother pimped them out. And that's how the bills got paid. Wow. My mother never talked to me about that. My mother like kept it. And I'm like, really? And so she still has such a sex negative mind, even though she knows we're out publicly. We talk about this. Mm-hmm. I literally had to fight with her when we discovered about my daughter's um, abuse because she just wanted to put it in the closet and don't talk about it. I'm like, hell to the, no, we're not, we're talking about it. We're fixing mm-hmm. this. Shit. I don't want her traumatized. I want her to have a healthy lifestyle and life and enjoy it. And it is very common that parents do not refer to the proper scientific terms of the anatomy, because when we were talking to the district attorney who was handling the case, she kept saying, it's like, so she touched your butterfly, your flower. Oh. And me and my daughter looked at each other and we're like, Do you mean vagina? And she like freaked out. It's like, yes, she knew about it, but she was groomed by her grandfather Mm -hmm. on her father's side. So even that, I was still trying to prepare, but I was blindsided because they threatened her that if she said anything, they will kill me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that was messed up. And it is all this, you know intergenerational, deprogramming, making the victims not feel like it's their fault that, mm-hmm. you know, they have options and they could heal. And nowadays, thanks for the, re, you know, resources like yourself and the internet that it's coming out. And we're just like, hey, we're here to help you and thrive and, you know, have a healthy, pleasurable life that you deserve.
0: Yes, absolutely. Amen to that. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the, the thing a lot of parents don't realize is like uh, this whole cycle of secrecy and you know keeping things hush hush. That's exactly what predators want. You know They want you to not talk about it. They want families to be uncomfortable saying those words because they know that the child's not being educated, right? The, the less we talk about this and the less we are open about these topics, the more we give this power to predators to continue doing what they're doing. So, yeah, I mean, we, we, it's, it's, it's an, it's a critical conversation today. It You cannot afford to not have it. And, you know, when, when we look at changing culture, you know, which I'm always talking about because this has gone on for, for far long enough, like far too long at this point um, that if we're, if we continue to be unwilling to challenge people, you know, cause a lot of times it's, it, it's. This bravery that you need—you you do need a certain amount of courage to have these conversations because there are people who are going to say, "I'm uncomfortable talking about this. Can we change the topic?" No, I'm sorry, we can't change the topic because this is important for X, Y, Z reasons as it relates to my family. No, I can't not talk about it because I want to let you know what we're teaching at home so that you're aware if you, you know, are part of, uh, you know, my child's circle then we need to have this conversation. And I always say to people, we have to actively talk to the people in in our children's lives, not just to our children. And I think that that's an important distinction too with the work that I do is that I am constantly encouraging parents to talk to grandparents, family members, teachers, doctors, whoever is in your child's life should know because this is a potential red flag to predators to say, hands off, our family is being educated. I'm a proactive parent. My child is learning to understand their rights. And that is going to make for a much less targetable victim, right? They're not going to go after someone like that because that's a much harder, you know, person to manipulate. So they, they realize I can't groom the family. I can't groom the child moving on, you know, to another target. So we really do need to be vocal about this. And when we push ourselves out of that comfort zone, and we have these conversations, they don't always go negatively. You know, a lot of times people are like, that's amazing that you're doing that. And I love that you're doing that. Can I learn more about that? You know, if they have, if you're, you know your kids, friends, parents, you can talk to them and say, you know, this is what we're teaching. And if you're interested, let me know, I can give you some resources, right? We can, we can frame it in a way that is empowering to others, that's supportive of others, and is a way for us to create consent culture in our immediate communities. And that's another layer of protection that we can give our kids. So it's not all on our kids shoulders. And it's not all on just the parents shoulders.
1: It is a, a huge fight, changing the consent culture. That's, you know, tr- that we see that all the time.
2: <laughs> it's an uphill battle, but w- w- it's moving. I'm it's watching it move. While. Yeah, the Needles moving slowly. Yeah. But it's an intergenerational thing. Yes. Talking to grandparents and getting them to rethink because every grandparent has an idea of how they're teaching their kid. And we, we also fight with that as well. You know, Mm -hmm. we want to spoil them. We want to do this. We want to do that. And sometimes they go against the parents, but it's, it's everyone in their life working together. And we really, in the end, just want to raise a healthy, a healthy child.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So what do you offer and where can our audience member find you?
0: So I offer various workshops. Um, I'm actually in the process of uh, starting a coaching program for uh, parents who are bringing their kids to either day camps uh, in the summer or daycares or are gonna prepare them for school this fall so um you know i was in that position when i was yo- when i was younger with my kids and didn't prepare them in time and i had like a panic attack and that's kind of what set me on this journey um so this this uh coaching program is to help parents really prepare their kids give them enough time to absorb the information and teach it in a way that's not fear-based um so that's one that's a new thing i'm offering this year but i also have various workshops for different ages and different you know uh, things that they might need to learn secret safety um, you know getting started with abuse prevention for ages zero to six so various things like that and that can all be found through consent parenting Um, and i'm also of course on instagram i love hanging out there and uh, sharing information and stories you can Um, Check out my wild stories from today. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so that that's where I'm at, uh, typically, but I'm also on uh, Facebook, usually doing a live or inside my free Facebook group. So if parents are interested in connecting there as well, they can head over. Um, All of that is through consent parenting as well.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so very much for kicking off Sexual Assault Awareness Month and Child Abuse Awareness Month and educating people that these amazing resources about consent and how we could change the dialogue, I guess you would say? Change
2: the dialogue, change the mood, get rid of the shame.
1: Get rid of the shame. Mm. That's the big one.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, it's an honor to be kicking off the month.
1: So thank you. Thank you. Bye. Hey John, I want to get a new toy.
2: Okay, so let's go to Fairvilla.
1: But I don't want to waste time trying to find out what goes with what.
2: Well, there's Fairvilla University and their staff is very well educated and helpful.
1: Okay, but how about if I just want to go to a party instead?
2: Then go to their website, because on their calendar they list all their events.
1: But I don't want to spend a lot of money.
2: Have you heard of their loyalty program?
1: Oh yeah, that thing on my keychain that makes everyone blush every time they see it.
2: That's the one. Let's go. Well, they have over five locations in Central Florida. Which one do you want to go to?
1: Fair Villa
2: for for pleasure, fun, and and fantasy.
1: fantasy. Thank you for listening to Sex Positive Me. If you like our content, please like, subscribe, and review us. You can find us on social media platforms at Sex Positive Me or on our website at sexpositiveme.com. You can also reach me on all social media platforms as Miss Angelique Luna.
2: And you can find me at John C. Luna. And if you liked content like this and want some more, please subscribe to our monthly newsletter. And thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.